This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, I am so excited to be with you today. Uh, We're going to have a great time together. I'm fighting off a little cold, and and right now some of you who hugged me on the way in are thinking, like, how do I get that off of me? Here's what I'll say to you. You hug one of me. I hug like 500 of you every Sunday. So you know what? We'll just let it slide together. It's like an occupational hazard for me. So, so you're welcome if you get it, and thank you for whoever gave it to me. We'll just leave it there. Um, but but uh, I'm on the tail end of it. I shouldn't be contagious. Nothing to worry about. And if you do get sick, blame it on somebody else. No need to blame it on me. But here's what I would ask you. Um, they say that engaging with your pastor, it's like fuel for your pastor. So nodding, laughing, amen, talking back, whatever. Uh, and I could use some fuel today. And if you and I are Facebook friends, you know I, I could use some fuel yesterday too. Um, but we'll talk about that story in a few minutes. But... Uh, Yeah, so I could use some fuel from you today. So let's jump in. I'm so excited about where God's taken us today. Uh, If you're brand new, we're wrapping up a series. Basically, you get like the epilogue of a really good book that we called Modern Family. We've been in this series for two months now. If you missed any part of it, if you're just coming in now, but you're kind of intrigued by what we're talking about, you can go to our website, which is on your notes, and you can pull up the podcast there at any time and listen to all of it. But I want to get us a few things that keep us on the same page. Uh, The first is this Start Here card. Go ahead and fill that out. It's simply the best way for you to communicate with us and us to connect with you. So go ahead and get that ready. Uh, the other thing you're going to want are your teaching notes. Uh, they've got some, some fill-in-the-blanks. They've got uh, the Bible verses we're looking at today. They've got some continuing discussion conversations and some things to look at if you want to go deeper this week in your life group or on your own. And then the third thing I want to highlight just briefly is this. Inside your program, we've got a, a child sponsorship uh, insert. If you sponsor a child, our global outreach team would like to know where we're serving, who we're loving, where we're giving, that kind of stuff, so we can better support you. So if you sponsor a child right now, and I know a number of us do through various organizations, would you just fill this out so we know? And if you're not sponsoring a child, but you've been thinking, boy, I'd like to do that. Well, we've got some partnerships in India and Mexico and some other spots, and we'd love to help you begin that journey because there are so many kids who could, who could use your love and your support and your partnership as they look to take some steps in their lives. So would you fill that out at some point throughout the day? Uh, and then we're going to pass some baskets a little bit later, and you can just drop this into the basket when it's passed. Well, we're wrapping up this series, and I'm going to do something a little different today. Uh, we're wrapping up this series, Modern Family, and we've been talking about what it looks like to, to love someone else, whether it's your spouse or your kids, to love them and give yourself to them in such a way that it empowers them to be all that they were created to be. But at the same time, God's desire in marriage is not just that we would give ourselves to another person for their benefit— But God actually says that in marriage and in parenting, when we give ourselves to another person, it helps us become the person that God created us to be. That we actually become more like Jesus in the process of learning how to love someone, forgive someone, stick with someone, partner with them through their own junk and mess, uh, be vulnerable with them in our own junk and mess. And so we've been looking at this, and what I've said through this entire series is, wherever you are on this journey of marriage, of parenting, of family— My hope is that we would each feel empowered to take a next step. But what I realize uh, is that these messages uh, have have sparked something in some of us, and it's a bigger issue than just these messages. Uh, What I've realized is one of the things I love about our church is you do not expect perfection from me or from any of your pastoral staff. 
thank goodness, or else you wouldn't come. If you heard me preach more than, you know, two weeks in a row, you'd know I say things and put my foot in my mouth quite often. Um, We don't need to amen right there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I love our church. does not expect our pastors to be perfect. But here's something I'm sensing. I think that some of us in a room this size, there's probably 200 plus of us in here right now, we expect ourselves to be perfect. Or at least we expect ourselves to be further along than we currently are. And so we walk into church and we hear messages and, and they're good, they're engaging, they're funny, they're practical. We hear these messages and we walk out of, of really, really good, good teaching, feeling really, really bad about ourselves. Here's what I think is going on. We know where we are. On Sunday, we learn what God's best looks like for us. And sometimes where we are and what God's best looks like feel like they're worlds apart. And there's a huge gap there. And in that gap, we tend to condemn ourselves, feel bad about where we are, feel guilty, feel, um, feel a sense of inadequacy. And so there's this weird phenomenon that can happen in church if we're not careful, uh, where we can walk into church feeling pretty good, hear really good teaching, have great worship, and then walk out of church feeling bad. Can I tell you, there's a misunderstanding happening. If you ever walk out of church feeling condemned, feeling a sense of guilt or shame, and what I want to do today is talk about what's going on in that moment, because we should never walk out of church feeling condemned, or guilty, or ashamed, or hopeless. My hope, my dream, would be that we would always walk out of church feeling empowered, convicted, challenged, and equipped to take hold of the life that God designed for us to live. So what I want to do today is I want to I break out something that happened to me about a month ago. About a month ago, we're right in the middle of the series. We were four weeks into an eight-week series. That's how partway through works, in case you were wondering. And, uh, and I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. He, he's almost five. My little man will be five in a couple weeks. Um, and with one of our kids, and I'm not going to say which one, and you don't need to guess, but with one of our kids, we're going through a really, really tough parenting season right now. I mean, really tough. And I walked in on a Sunday, and I was supposed to preach, and I walked in feeling like I was failing as a parent. I mean, just failing. So I went into a room when I was trying to work on the message, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even, couldn't even practice it. Just feeling horrible about myself. Guilty, condemned, tears start, start flooding out of my eyes. Not like, not like strong man tears, you know, like, <laughs> like your dream guy who, who he's like strong and silent, but a single tear comes down so you know he's sensitive. It wasn't like that. It was like weepy Hallmark commercial tears. <laughs> Snot and the whole thing. So I grabbed my buddy John, who's both got one of the biggest hearts of anybody in our church. He's one of the biggest men in our church. And uh, I said, John, can you pray for me? And I couldn't even get the words out. I'm like, <gasps> John, I feel like I'm failing. And he's, he, he prayed for me. It was so good. He, he, he encouraged me. He prayed for me. Uh, and I made it through that message. But I went into the office the next day, and I said to Ron, one of our pastors, and Angela, one of our other pastors, I called him into a quick meeting, and I said, hey guys, here's the thing. I really think that Pastor Ron should preach the entire parenting section of this series. 
And they were like, why? Tell us about this. And I said, because I, I honestly feel like I'm failing as a parent, and I don't think I should preach this. And they looked at me, and they said, Kevin, whether it's parenting or marriage or money or addiction or purpose or jobs, what you're feeling right now is what people in our church feel all the time. You need to write down how you're feeling, what lies you're believing, because anytime we walk out of somewhere feeling condemned, judged, hopeless, we're believing a lie. Write down the lies you're believing and the truth that you sense from God in your own process. Write that down and then just share it with us. That'll be your contribution to this series. So that's what I want to do today. I want to write down, uh, I wrote down what I was feeling in that moment, what I, was, what I was thinking, the guilt, the shame, and I want to share with you some of the truth that God brought to my mind because it has been some of the most freeing paradigm shift that I have experienced. So today we're going to talk all about enjoying the process of life because life is, it's a journey, it's a process. Here's the big idea for the day. You and I, we are in process, not failing. Anytime we're in process, we will have times of success and times of failure. You're in process. You are not, at your core, a failure. If you miss everything else I say, I I need us to know that. And it's not my opinion. It's actually what God says about you. There's a guy named Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. Paul was this visionary pastoral leader who would go to these major cities in the ancient world that were strategic cities, port cities where people would come in and then go all around the world. Paul would come into these cities. He would live there. He would get to know the people, get to know the culture, and he would plant churches in these cities. And one of the cities he planted a church in was a city called Corinth. And he fell in love with Corinth. He spent 18 months there getting to know the people, understanding their heart, what made them tick. He planted this church in Corinth, and then he left 18 months later. And the way he stayed in contact was he wrote letters back and forth. They were like pen pals, the people in Corinth to Paul, and then Paul would get it and write back. And we have two of those letters. There were more letters to this church in Corinth, but we have two of those letters in the Bible. And in one of the letters, Paul addresses these false expectations that Jesus' followers have of perfection. And he highlights the reality that following God is a journey, and a journey that, that at its core is about freedom. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ, that's, that's Jesus, anyone who belongs to Jesus or Jesus Christ has become a new person. The old life that they used to live is gone, and the new life, I want you to underline that last word, has begun, has started. Now, Paul spent a ton of time in the New Testament writing about the idea of what it means to belong to Christ or to be in Christ. And, and he, I mean, he is brilliant, and I am not even, don't even hold a candle to Paul, but let me try to break down what he means when he says, those of us who belong to Christ or who are in Christ, he means things like this. Anyone who has, has taken their trust and said, I'm not going to keep my trust in myself or my abilities or my intellect or my looks or my ability to achieve. I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to move my trust over to, to Jesus, to God. That's what it means to belong to Christ. He says, anyone who's done that, who said, you know what? I cannot live the life I was created to live by myself and on my own, so I'm putting my trust in God. He says, anyone who's done that has a number of things happen. When you do that, you, 
you become part of God's family. You belong to Christ. You become God's daughter and God's son. When we do that, Paul says, we have our sin forgiven. And sin is basically, it's those, it's those patterns of thought, of speech, of, of action that are hurting us, that are breaking us, that are hurting other people. You have your sin forgiven by God when we belong to Christ. Here's something he does. He gives us God's spirit to live in us when we belong to Christ, to teach us what it looks like to live with God and then to empower us to do it. And he adopts us into his family and he secures for us a place in heaven. So anyone who belongs to Christ not only is with God in this world, but in eternity when we die, we live with God in heaven. That's all wrapped up in this one little phrase, belong to Christ. And he says, anyone who belongs to Christ, who has all this stuff happening in their life, has become a new person. That old life is gone, a new life has started. And I love the intentionality of Paul's language. He doesn't say, anyone who belongs to Christ has finished the race. Anyone who belongs to Christ has figured everything out. Anyone who belongs to Christ is now perfect. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say anyone who belongs to Christ has graduated. Those are all phrases of completion, of ending something. He says anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation, which lets us know that following Jesus, it's about process, not perfection. Think about your kids, or, or if you've been around young children. Doesn't it break your heart when your kids are learning something new? Or kids you're around, maybe you're an educator, maybe you're an, an auntie or an uncle or a grandparent. They're learning something new, and kids learn at an incredible rate, don't they? I mean, think about this. From the time they're born, and they can do nothing except for cry and poop and vomit. That's all they can do. And eat, I guess. Drink, more accurately. There I go, not being perfect. <laughs> they go from very little in the first five years to learning how to crawl, walk, speak, read, play sports, talk back, argue. Like, it's incredible the things they learn. I, and it just goes and goes, right? Now, have you ever been with a kid and they're learning something new? Maddie, our daughter's learning piano right now. It breaks my heart because my wife is an excellent piano player. And it breaks my heart when Maddie's trying to learn piano and she gets so frustrated and she wells up with tears. She says, Daddy, I can't do it. I'm failing. What is she saying? I, I feel like I'm here and I should be here. I just want to scoop her up in my arms and say, you're not failing. You're learning something new. That's not failing. That's what it means to be a kid. Kids are learning all the time. Uh, you know, we're learning all the time. Educators are learning all the time. Common Core is teaching you all sorts of new stuff all the time. Too soon? <laughs> Our kids are not failing when they're learning how to walk and they fall, are they? No. They're learning how to walk. Now, think about this. Paul says anyone who belongs to Christ is a new creation, has been adopted into God's family, and is now God's child. The old life that we used to live with our thought processes, with our actions, with our words, the old life is gone. It's dead and dying. And this new life has begun. And we come into church sometimes thinking, I've been following Jesus for Two years, five years, 15 years. I should, have, I should have arrived at this point 
and I'm here, and God's best is over here. What's going on? And God looks at us and says, no, 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 no. You're my child, and you're learning right now in a safe place. Did you know that's what the church is supposed to be, a safe place? A safe place where we can come together and not pretend like we're perfect, where we can come together and learn and grow and fail without being judged or without judging ourselves. It's supposed to be a safe place. That's the church. He says if there's anywhere that you should be okay being in process, it's, it's here. Because you're in process with me. So God would say to us, don't condemn yourself. Anytime you think to yourself walking out of church, I should at least be, and you fill in the blank, at this point in my life. You know what you're doing? You're discounting the process of growing up in a new life with God. And we're condemning ourselves because we're believing a lie that we should have achieved or reached or attained at this point. That's what I was doing in that moment with my kid. And when we understand this paradigm, my hope is that it will be the most freeing thing we could imagine. Because now we understand that that we're God's kids who died to their old way of thinking and living and acting and were born into God's family, adopted into God's family to learn and process and begin a new life. And that new life includes stumbling and falling and failing and getting up and trying again without the guilt and shame and fear of, I should have already figured that out. I think, I hope, I hope, and this has been the case for me this last three or four weeks, I hope that if we can get this, that church will become the most freeing place in the world for us. Because church, at least one portion of it, the, the teaching portion, that's the place where we just learn about God's best. And we get some tools to walk towards God's best. It's not the place where we're condemned for where we are. It's the place where just like a good, a good teacher in school doesn't condemn a kid for not understanding a new, a new math problem, but trains them on how to get there. This is the place where we're trained on how to experience God's best for our lives. So how do we how do we embrace process? How do we embrace imperfection in our lives? And the big one is this. We need, to, we need to combat lies with the truth. I said this, I think I said this a little earlier. Every, every time you feel condemned, you feel hopeless, you feel ashamed, you feel alone, you and I are believing a lie, some sort of lie. It could be a lie about God, what he thinks about us. It could be a lie about ourselves. It could be a lie about someone else. What will they think about me? But every time we feel condemned, isolated, ashamed, guilty, alone, we are believing a lie. And we need to learn how to combat lies with truth. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks in a new series that we're launching coming up. I'll tell you about that a little later. So I want to talk about three lies that day when I went into Angela's office and was talking to Angela and Ron, they said, write down what you're, 
what your process is like right now. Three lies came up, and then three Bible verses came to mind to combat those lies. And the first lie was this. Things are never going to change. Things are just never going to change. I saw two possible outcomes for this particular child um, in my mind. Great leader, world changer, prisoner. At that moment, those were the only two options I saw. Come on, parents. I already had one mom say to me, I thought my kid was going to jail. In that moment, that's the only thing. And because we were having a tough, a tough time for a handful of months, I could only see prisoner. Things are never going to change. My child is small, small. If you struggle constantly with some area of life, it could be an addiction that you've tried to break that you can't. That could be a substance addiction. It could be, a, a, um, it could be lying, addiction to rage. It could be addiction to shopping. It could be any sort of addiction that you've tried to break and you can't. This could be the big lie for you that would cause you to give up. Because if things are never going to change, why stick with it? If you're married and you're in a tough marriage season right now, could have been six months, could have been, could have been two years, could be five years, and you're trying and it doesn't seem to be changing. This is probably the lie that, that the enemy would want to use to take you out. Things are never going to change. Because if things are never going to change, why stick around? Right? Things are never going to change. Why keep trying? But things can change. God promises that they can. In Philippians chapter 4, it's that same guy Paul writing, and he's in prison when he writes this letter, and he's talking to this church in a city called Philippi, and he says to, he says to the church, he says, I've learned the secret to contentment. I've learned how to be content when I have a lot and when I'm in jail and I have very little. I've learned the secret to life. And it's this, I can do all things through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. The truth is, it can change. It can change. By God's power in our lives. Remember, we said that when we become part of God's family, when he adopts us in, his spirit fills us. His spirit empowers us to be able to live freely. He empowers change. It can change. You're not a hopeless cause. Your marriage is not a hopeless cause. Your, your kid is not a hopeless cause. Your finances, they might be, it might be a mess. It's not hopeless. It can change. If we believe that truth, it'll keep us from giving up. It breaks my heart when I see us give up. Give up on ourselves. Give up on our marriages. Give up on our kids. Give up on community. It breaks my heart. I don't want that. That one almost took me out of the game. It's never going to change. World leader, prisoner. Those are my only two options. And I saw us walking down the wrong path. The second lie, it's all my fault. This was a big one for me. Because this particular child, I see myself in. I do. We don't need to decide which child it is. Just know that this particular child gets a glint in their eye when they do something mischievous, and I'm pretty sure I have picture evidence of myself having that same look. For all the great things about this kid, I see myself there. For all the downsides of this kid, I see myself there. And so when this child was going down a path that was just hurting him, them, (laughs) 
hurting my wife, hurting me. Here's what I thought. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. You know what happened in that moment? A weight of condemnation came over me where I just condemned myself. And it was so heavy, so heavy. It it broke me into tears where I couldn't even speak. Nasty Hallmark commercial crying tears. And that weight was so heavy. And all I wanted to do was get that weight off of me and move it to someone else. Because you and I weren't designed to live with condemnation. Did you know that? You weren't designed to live with guilt and shame and fear and anxiety and isolation. You were not designed that way. That's why God frees us. And I'll talk about that in a second. We weren't designed to live under the weight of condemnation. So human nature is if I feel bad and condemned, I can only live there for so long, I need to push it to someone else. That's why when your kids get sick, you think, I should have kept them healthy. And then your next thought is, who have they been around who's sick? Who got them sick? Because I don't want the weight of this condemnation, so I'm going to give it to them. So if you get sick next week, just think about all the other people it could have been. Not me. Not me. Uh, some of you, for Facebook friends, you know this story. A week ago, on Tuesday, my wife and I were driving to Life Group. Uh, I have a 1973 convertible MGB. Love it. Love it. So fun. We drove the MG to Life Group. Partway at a stop sign, Maria looks at the, the gas gauge and says, you're almost out of gas. Uh, I think we should get some gas on the way. I said, no, we don't need gas. We're fine. We're at the same light. Same light. It's like 30 seconds later. She is staring at it, like willing it to go down or something. <laughs> she says, I really think we ought to get gas. A little, little stronger, you know, but I just said, it's fine. Stop looking at the gas gauge. We start driving. Don't even make it through the intersection. She says, I really think we ought to get gas. And I said, Maria, that's pretty much how it's, Maria, how many times have I run out of gas? <laughs> Silence. She says, one time? I said, none times. None times I have run out of gas. I know how much gas my car needs. Thank you. Conversation over, silent drive to Life Group. You ever have one of those moments? Maybe you had it this morning. You know it. We get to Life Group, have a great time. Drive home, no more comments about the gas. Excellent. Pull into the garage, it rains the next few days, don't pull the car out. Decide yesterday, I'm going to go run some errands. Uh, Pull the car out. In the driveway, I'm putting the garage door down. In the driveway, I hear it, no gas. No. So I think to myself, we're on a hill. If I can just get away from the house, I can coast like a slot car down to the gas station two blocks away. I'm thinking to myself, I can do this. I can do this. So I get it going, get a little gas, get up the driveway, get out down the hill around the corner, get just to the turn where it's a downhill home run. I'm going to make it out of gas, 20 feet shy of the turn. And it will not start back up again. So then I've got this weight of condemnation on me, right? (laughs) Come on. All I want to do is take a drive. It's bad that I ran out of gas. Not good for the car. Not all that helpful for my day. But it gets worse than that because I have to to call and say that that thing that no husband ever likes to say. (laughs) You were were right. You were right. (laughs) So I call AAA. (laughs) They come over. I call Maria. She's like, uh-oh, what's wrong? And I say, I ran out of gas. And she says, honey, it's okay. But I can see her smiling on the other line. I can see it. I can hear it in her voice. Honey, it's okay. It's okay. 
whole time the weight of condemnation is upon me, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't handle this. So I look at the gas gauge and say, it must be broken. (laughs) I moved my condemnation onto an inanimate object. It's your fault I ran out of gas. But that's human nature. We weren't designed to live under that. It's all my fault. And so we swing the pendulum back and forth between it's me, no, it's you, no, it's me. Did you know that the, the right answer is not to figure out how much blame the other person should get? The right answer is to experience God's grace in our lives. Grace. The right answer was this. And I got there uh, a few minutes after sitting in my car, just enjoying the nice warm day on the side of the road as my neighbors drove by. I waved and pretended to be on the phone, quite honestly, like, so they wouldn't know. They don't come here yet, so they won't know that. Here's what I realized. I'm in process. I made a mistake. It's not the end of the world. I ran out of gas. It doesn't make me a failure. It makes me a guy who's not going to let his gas gauge go below a quarter of a tank ever again in his life. That's what it makes me. Makes me a guy who's run out of gas one time, not none times. And it only takes one. I need to accept God's grace, grace, unmerited favor. To say, hey, you're on a journey, you're learning. You're learning, Mario Andretti. You, you'll figure it out. That's what he was saying to me. Here's the truth that I, I'm remembering in this process. It's not all, all my fault, e- even if it is all your fault. It's not a good way to live. It's not a good way to live. The weight of it is going to crush you. That's why God says, cast your burdens on me. Because the weight's going to crush you. Here's the truth that God brought to my mind. It's just one verse, but it's one of my favorites. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, it's by grace, that unmerited favor of God. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not something you did. It's not something you did. God saved you because of his favor towards us. Not because we worked it out. Not because we were so smart or intelligent or had enough gas in the tank. By his grace, we've been saved. It's a gift from God. Not by the things we do. Here's why. So that we cannot boast. Because if we boast in the good stuff, we will be condemned in the bad stuff. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, at least if you came to faith in God here at New Life, you know that it's by God's grace we've been saved. Here's what I would love for us. I would love for us to know that we don't start in grace and then prove to God for the next 30 years that we deserved that grace. But that we start in God's grace and then live in God's grace as his kids. And in Life Group this week, we're going to talk about that. How do we live in grace? Not just start out in grace and and then prove to God that it was worth his saving us. If you're not in a group, by the way, groups are just key. They're just key. We'll talk about it a little more. They're key to going deeper, to understanding. They're key to community, which is a big part of of who we want to be. They are. They're key. But it's grace. And the final one is this, the final lie I was believing. If other people knew, and you can fill in your own blank there. For me, if other people knew uh, that I was really struggling with one of my kids, if they knew that about me, they would blank judge me, condemn me, isolate me, leave me alone, whisper behind my back. For me, it was if other people knew that I was struggling with one of my kids in a season, that maybe they wouldn't allow me to, to speak to them on Sunday mornings about family. That's the lie I believed. 
living in that life will only lead to isolation. If you've ever sat in church and you've thought to yourself, I'm the only one struggling with, and you can fill in your own blank, I'm the only one dealing with this, I'm the only one who's blank, you're believing that lie. Because I can tell you, in a room this size, just statistically speaking, you are not the only one. Whatever you're dealing with, you're not the only one. That lie causes us to turn inward, to close down, to not want to engage with other people. That lie will take us out of the game. And the truth, the truth that God brought to my mind was written by Jesus' half-brother, a guy named James. He talks about how do, we, how do we break free from that isolation? Well, he says this in James chapter 5. Here's what you can do. Confess your sins, your shortcomings, your, if people really knew, confess that to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here's what James is saying. The truth is, the answer is, the combat to that lie is community. It's other people. It's giving people the opportunity to show you that they know you and don't judge you. They know you and you're not alone. They know you. This is not an isolated thing. They know you and they still love you. Community is the answer. This is why we talk about life groups. This is why for the next year and and maybe beyond, the flavor of community is going to be a value that we're just going to press into as a church because the answer, the answer to transforming our lives in large part is community. It's not isolating and pulling back. This is great. This is great. I love this. I love Rose. I love talking to you. I love the engagement we have when things click. But the danger of, a, of this is we walk out feeling isolated and alone and like we're the only one. Community is the answer. Where we get together and say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is w- where my struggle is. That's why we do these ongoing life groups where we open them up to invite new people in, but they're ongoing so that over time you can build trust with people, enough trust that you could actually be honest and say, this is where I'm at. This was the process I went through. Maria, my wife, and I, we called together four friends, uh, including Pastor Ron. And the reason I mention that is because Ron is a mentor Uh, a friend. He started this church, and he turned it over to me. Now, if there's anyone who I would feel like I need to hide this from a person, it would be Ron. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, Ron's pretty. He's got it together. He doesn't, just so you know. He'd tell you. (laughs) But I knew he could help me here. I knew he could help me here. So I called him up and said, hey, this is what's going on, guys. And they came over to our house, four friends. We spent two and a half hours saying this is where we feel like we're failing. This is what we don't understand. There's certain things happening. We We can't translate it. Our child is suffering for it. We are suffering for it. Our marriage is suffering for it. Help, help us. And you know what they did? They condemned us. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. That would not make for a good sermon illustration. You know what they did? They prayed for us. They asked us some questions. They spoke into our lives and said, hey, here's some blind spots that I've seen, Kevin. I've seen you missing this. And this is hurting your kid. And it's hurting you. Can I just be honest with you and share that? And I listened and I responded and we prayed together and they've been praying for us ever since. And can I tell you the last three and a half weeks, it's been like a 180 with this kid. Our child is more engaged, alert, happy. 
loving life. We are happier as parents. I feel like we've taken back ownership of our house and in raising our kids. It, it's like transformation. That would not have happened if I would have stayed in that lie. If people really knew this about me, they'd never accept me. It would have trapped me. You might be one relationship away, one relationship away from transformation in your life. As we wrap up our time together, if I could just, if I could just dream for our church, if I could just dream for our church, dream for you. I see you guys every week. We look at each other. We see each other. You think I can't see your faces. I know you don't because sometimes you whisper to each other like I can't see you. I can see you. I, I pray for you. We're Facebook friends. It's official. If I could dream for you, here's what I would dream. I would dream that our, our church, our community, our gathering would be so captured by God's grace, by this journey with God, so captured by it, that we would view church and the teaching portion of church as a great gift. Because that's just the place where, as children of God who are learning, where we learn a little more about God and we get some tools to help us on this journey. That's what I would dream for us, that every time we could walk out of church, every time, even if it's extremely convicting and we would say, here's where I am. Boy, God's best is way over here. Even if, it's, if it feels like a chasm, like a Grand Canyon, that we could walk out of church without condemnation for where we are or guilt for where we are or shame. Or for some of you parents who heard Ron's parenting session for the last two weeks, your kids are grown. And I had some, some parents of grown children say, boy, I walked out thinking I wish I could do it over, but I can't. Okay, there are certain things that you can't do over. That season is gone. That marriage has ended. Even in those moments that we would walk out not feeling ashamed or guilty or condemned or isolated, but we'd walk out with, with hope, feeling empowered because we've got some tools, feeling empowered because we've got a community wrapped around us where it's okay not to be perfect, with joy and with courage to go on. That's what I dream for us. I just, I, I think, boy, if, if that's what the church is supposed to be, sign me up. If that's what the church is supposed to be, bring my friends, bring my neighbors, bring, bring my coworkers, because that, who gets that? Only a good God who loves his kids gives that kind of, that kind of experience to us every week. That's my dream for you. You are I am, we are, anyone who is in Christ, who's transferred their trust from ourselves to God, any one of us who has done that is a new creation. The old life, gone. New life, starting, starting. Learning, growing, trying, falling, standing up, scraping our knee, having our heavenly Father clean it off. New life's begun. That is, that is the most freeing thing, I think, for us to be okay with the process. And if you're here today and, and you've never started this new life with God, you've never experienced what I just shared about belonging to Christ, the old life ending where your trust was in you and your ability, the new life beginning where your trust is in God and his goodness and his his ability and his compassion and his love. 
If you've never made that switch, I'm going to pray in just a second. Partway through that prayer, I'm going to give you a chance to start a journey with God, to become his child. We're told he adopts us into his family, and he starts this new life with us. If, if you're ready to do that, you can repeat that prayer with me. But first, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray like it was just me and God, but we all happen to be here together. I'm going to pray for us together on this journey, myself and for you. Would you join me as we pray? Dad, if I could, if I could dream with you for a few minutes, you know my heart for my life, for my family, for our church family, that we would embrace the process, embrace the journey with you. That our lives would be marked by freedom even in the midst of imperfection. Because I know that none of us will arrive until the day we see you face to face in heaven. And I just want to break through that lie, God, that has some of us believing we should be and we can fill in the blank. Would you empower us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit to embrace this journey with you, to love it? Would you transform the messages that I preach and Ron preaches and, and Angela? Would you, would you transform the words spoken? Help them to continue to point us towards the truth your truth, your best, and in the midst, help them to be words that inspire us to embrace where we are and take some next steps. Would you do that, God? Would you translate those words as they come out of my mouth? For my friends in this room, Lord, and friends who couldn't be here today, would you do a paradigm shift in us so that every week when we come to church, regardless of where we are on that specific topic, that we would sense your partnership in that? that we would walk out feeling free and empowered to take a next step in that journey. Would you, would you help us, keep us from lies that would condemn us? Would you do that, God, for this community of people? As we continue to pray, if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start this new life with him, you can do it by simply saying to God that you want to start this journey and inviting him to lead you. And here's what you could say. Just whisper it where you're sitting or you could even just say it in your mind. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be adopted into your family. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin that has kept me trapped for so long? Would you bring healing in my life in places where other people's sin has hurt me. God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and would you show me how to walk with you in this life and into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.